to the Wisdom Podcast. This is your host, Justin Dora. And today's topic, we're going to talk about what does it look like when you have a theological overhaul? What are the implications of that? How does that actually roll itself out? What are some, for lack of a better term, timeless truths or timeless processes that God seems to bring people through when he reveals or uncovers uh, fresh revelation. Uh, It's truth that's always been there, but maybe we just haven't seen it as clearly as it's always been. And today's podcast is going to be a little more like a rolling river. We're just going to take each bend as they come. Uh, For those of you that don't know, um, I have been in the process of starting a business, and that's starting to have more time that's required of me. Therefore, I am trusting God that he can do more with less as far as time goes for me with the podcast and the blog. So I still have it as a goal to do a weekly podcast and a weekly blog, uh, but my prep time is getting decreased as uh, the requirements of the business are increasing and and I'll just be completely honest with you guys I'm having a blast it is so much fun I'm I feel so full of purpose so full of vision uh, not just for delivering great business uh, consulting advice and things like that but just seeing the purposes of God to make an impact and see transformation happen uh, in the world it is at an all-time high and so uh, for those of you out there that um, maybe at times wonder how does ministry and my work life go together let me just say this a new phrase God's put in my heart um, it's new as of this week <laughs> I've really been thinking from this perspective okay it's not business or ministry it's business and ministry and God shifted my uh, perspective and my language this week when he said no Justin business is ministry there is no separation. There is no difference. And, and guys, here's the thing. People are people. And when you treat them right, when you treat them as you would treat Jesus, when you listen, when you ask good questions, man, people's hearts just open up. You can speak into people's lives. You can um, give advice and, and consult. You can um, make a good living. You can um, just see everything wed together in one flow and there's no more separation. There's no more holy part of my life and secular part of my life. Now, everything's holy. Everything is integrated. And, um, you know, you don't have to be over the top in the sense of, like, you say Jesus every other word to be to be a spiritual business person or a spiritual teacher or a spiritual, you know, uh, political worker or, or, or whatever it is that you, whatever field God has put you in. Um, the kingdom of God, you are the leaven of heaven. Everywhere you go, you're expanding the kingdom, and you need to know that. Because that's what gives everything purpose, is recognizing. Uh, so, so let me say this. I'm totally getting off topic here, but hey, like I said, this river's just going to roll this morning, so that's okay. But here's one of the things we got to realize, guys, is, um, there is there is, I believe, at least at this season of time, um, in, in the level of revelation that 
the people of God are operating in. I totally see the value and the need for people to work uh, full-time for a ministry organization, whether that's church, parachurch, whatever it might be. I totally see it. It's There's nothing wrong with it. It's awesome. It's a, it's a calling from God. But to say that is the calling or that's the highest calling, uh, I totally disagree with that. Uh, that makes second-class citizens. It makes people feel less valuable. And it puts the wrong emphasis of ministry. Um, it should be those outside the four walls that we give the most attention to. Not in the sense of praise and adulation, but in the sense of support, uh, helping them hear from God, teaching them what's God saying, asking those questions so they can discern what God's saying, so they can continue to grow, develop, implement uh, the plans and strategies heaven is bringing into their mind um, as they are making a difference in the world. And we got to see it that way. Uh, honestly, more and more, I- I'm noticing there's a reason Paul was a tent maker. Uh, there's a reason why missions more than ever before is going the way of business as mission because there's something about the practical actually helping a society um, in a practical way that is for profit that um, it, it, it's got the kingdom written all over it and so I just want to encourage guys that are listening that um, what you do nine to five is uh, a call from God. It's not a side deal. And that's a shift that God's done in me even recently where I've recognized, okay, this is a calling and it's not just what pays the bills. So there you go. Freebie right there. <laughs> uh, so, so as I said, what do you do when you go through a theological overhaul? And just because I'm using the word theology doesn't, I'm not trying to to hem that in to, well, I work for a ministry, so therefore my theology is uh, really important versus, well, I don't work in ministry, so what does theology matter? Actually, theology matters. Theology matters more, in my opinion, uh, to those that don't work in ministry. Because here's what happens. we th- People think, well, I don't work in ministry, so I don't need to have theology. So I'll just get my theology from people that that's what they do. Well, what if they're wrong? Or what if they don't see it as clearly as God is intending? Um, I would not outsource your own development of a theological framework to someone else. I would actually go into the scriptures for myself. I would read the books for myself. I would... You know, just make it a part of life versus um, I'm outsourcing it to someone else telling me what's right and, and what to think. And and I just have friends uh, that are twice my age that that's how they lived. And um, they're not anymore because they're like, that messed me up. I, I, I took on board wrong things and ideas because I just thought, well, they know more. And they've been to school and this is their thing. So I'll listen to them. And when it comes to theology, again, I'm not downgrading uh, training. I'm not downgrading people that do devote their lives. There's nothing wrong with that. But we are the people of God. Jesus gave all of us the commission to go make disciples. I am not abdicating my role in developing a theological framework to someone who is an expert. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to consider. I want to let them speak into what I understand. But... At the end of the day, 
I don't, I don't go, well, so-and-so said this, so it's their fault that I believed it. No, I'm in the right sense of this word. I'm taking responsibility that I get to develop a theological framework with God. Um, because that is part of the package of what Jesus accomplished is I get to have the mind of Christ too. So food for thought. So one of the things that happens when you, when, when God begins to accelerate or shine light, accelerate revelation or shine light in a new aspect of your perspective of God, your theology is, um, you have, honestly, it's a matter of time before you have a methodological revolution. And what you begin to realize is methods aren't sacred. Methods aren't sacred at all. They are a way to demonstrate or to live out what you actually believe. And as what you believe, I'm not, when I say a theological change, I'm not saying, um, I'm not saying that there's things that I just throw away now because because they don't matter or because I don't think they're um, valuable even though they're directly in the scripture. But it's learning how to put all those pieces together. So, So when I read through like let's say the Old Testament, and it's funny, even though the Old Testament never says, do these things so that you merit salvation, we, somehow we got that. But that's actually not what the Old Testament talks about. It's, it's righteousness of faith. That's why Paul uses Abraham as the example for new covenant salvation. Because that's what Abraham got. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Even though I... I that's not what the Old Testament says. And even though that was never the intent of God, um, when I get greater revelation of Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise, every prophecy, the law, it doesn't mean I do away with that, but it does change my perspective of how it works. So let me give you a quick example. So before I had revelation on that, I read the Bible through the lens of this is what I must do to be okay with God. Now, I know I just said that's not what it's getting at, but for whatever reason, that's what I saw. And, you know, there's enough uh, language in the Old Testament, even in the Gospels, that you can easily pick that up without uh, trying too hard. But when I realize now, okay, Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things, now, when I go back to the Old Testament, I no longer read it as this is what I must do to be okay with God. I read it as this is what Jesus has fulfilled. I am okay with God. And not only that, because this law is now written on my mind and heart, guess what? This, what these words, I'm reading the very desires of my heart. So it's no longer something outside of me that I'm trying to achieve. It is something inside of me that is giving me impulse and desire to live in a way that is congruent with my new nature in Christ. Same words, same um, standards, 
but because the location from outside to inside has changed, completely different application. In other words, my methodology just changed. My previous methodology was I got to do this to be this. My new methodology is I already am this, so I will do this. So I am maybe externally, it looks like, wow, you're doing the same stuff, but the internal wiring is absolutely different. So how is the internal wiring different? Well, it starts with this. God, I already am this, so therefore I thank you that I am a holy man. I am a righteous man. I am a man of purity. I am a man of integrity. Well, when that, when those beliefs are activated, then guess what? Now there's life on them and I actually want to do something to demonstrate and walk that out. It is a natural byproduct. So what changed in my method? Well, no longer is my method determined on willpower. Now my method is determined on the identity of Christ, the image of God. And the more I recognize that and say that, let my mind, let the Holy Spirit align my mindset with that, let my declaration be this is who I am, the byproduct of that is action that looks holy. Action not just that looks holy, that is holy. So, so there you go. And then what begins to happen is that goes deeper and wider. I no longer am conscious. I'm no longer am making the conscious effort to agree with God. It is now in my subconscious, and it is just my standard operating mentality. I live with an awareness of God's presence and his power. Now, the truth is that's always been there. But the, but the progressive revelation is I am, I am seeing more and more how deeply rooted I am in Christ, how firm my foundation is based on who he is. Therefore, it shifts and changes me and I come into greater and greater rest and yet I become more and more fruitful. So I'm not locked into this is how it must be done because the method I'm employing today is is congruent with the level of revelation I have. But hopefully in a year, by the Holy Spirit, I'm walking in greater revelation of the indwelling presence of God and how he overflows through me as a river of life. And therefore, my methods are adjusting to match that the level of revelation I'm walking in. I believe this is why Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened that you may know the hope to which you've been called and, and, and you may share in his inheritance in the saints. There's this progressive revelation that God gives us by the Holy Spirit and here's what happens. You start seeing something different in the scripture and then you go back and you read a different passage you haven't read in a few years and because of that revelation that you just got now you read those words different and it 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 becomes an exponential unfolding unpacking of truth so you read in one place so here's an example so this is recent for me so i've recognized in the past a scripture in second corinthians 2 says all the promises are yes in christ and through him we are the amen. Okay, so 
So God's given us a yes in Christ. Well, just recently I've been recognizing the whole Old Testament is mostly about promise. It's about a promised Messiah, a coming Messiah. And and the law is full of promises, or the Old Testament is full of promises. So really, all the promises being yes in Christ ties in directly to Jesus came to fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilling the law makes all those Old Testament promises our inheritance. And now they're not based on if we observe the law. They're based on Jesus observed the law. And we get to manifest that as we hear him and the Holy Spirit allows us to trust. So that shift in understanding in Christ all the promises are yes. When I go back and I start thinking through the Old Testament and realizing these are promises, now I start seeing those two pieces of revelation come together and it brings me into a greater understanding of truth. Does that make sense? And I know you can't respond to me because I'm speaking into a microphone. <laughs> uh, things that you realize as you're saying them. So here's the thing, guys. With every revelation with every theological shift and change there is a process of reverse engineering how you live life so that you can re-engineer and allow that new facet of truth to be wedded into everything that you do so as an example you get an you get a revelation of identity in Christ. It's no longer about what you do, it's about what he did. So that affects the way you do discipleship. That affects the way you do evangelism. That affects the way you do family life. That affects the way you do work life. That affects the way you do community life. Because now you're recognizing I'm not going to treat people based on what they do, but based on who Jesus is. So it changes the way you treat people, it changes the way you think about people, it changes the way you talk to people, it changes the way it changes your expectations. Now I'm not expecting things to go wrong, I'm expecting things to go right. Do, do you see what I'm saying? There's it's not just nothing changes and I just bolt on, oh yeah, and I have an identity in Christ and that's I guess that's good. No, no. I re-engineer the whole way my whole way of life. And I don't say re-engineer in the way of like putting pressure on myself. But in other words, the Holy Spirit is is just clued me in that he's about to walk me through a complete overhaul in the way I live life. Because he just unveiled a secret that I didn't realize. And now that's going to change everything. So what do you do? Well, number one, you slow down. Stop being in a hurry. Stop trying to do everything so fast. Take time to think and process with God. Write out as holy as the Holy Spirit's giving you revelation and input, insight. Write it out, chart it out, think it through. Let let God guide you into all truth. That's what He wants to do. Go back into the Scriptures and let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Because here's what happens: we we have a revelation. Then we begin to realize, wait a second, this affects the way I actually live life. And if I'm not careful, my current methods actually begin to work against this new revelation. 
So we slow down and we allow the Holy Spirit to adjust our way of life. Because our way of life is not merely a method. It includes methods. Our way of life is a person. And it's realizing we live in a person. We live in a relationship with the Godhead because of Jesus. And as we start getting clarity on a new way to live life that's based in relationship, that's based in grace, that's based in God's empowering presence, then we practice. There's actually action that comes out of that. And as we practice and we get established in this new living way, they become our norm. It becomes the way we live. It becomes the way we move. It becomes the way we have our being, as Paul said in Acts 17. And honestly, Paul is a great example of this being played out. We see in Acts chapter 9, Paul goes through this awakening experience to his calling to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And what was his first thing? Best we know in the book of Galatians, it says that he immediately went to Arabia. He didn't consult anybody. He got alone with God in the desert, on the uh, on the backside of the desert. What was he doing? Now, We don't know with clarity, but based on what historians say and scholars, he he was letting God revolutionize, give him a revolutionize his world, give him a theological overhaul. I believe it's where we see in Second uh, Corinthians twelve where he talks about I once knew a man who was caught up to heaven, the third heaven, and was told things that were unlawful, not things that were not allowed to say, but things that were fulfilling the law, superseding the law, because it, it was a person in Christ. And now we live from who He is, not what we can produce, and. Um, the the reality is Paul who had been a lawman who had found his value and how well he could keep the law this is what he says in Philippians 3 he counted all as loss not that the, the, the Old Testament scriptures were a loss but, but his lifestyle of being zealous for the traditions of his fathers in the sense of making tradition more holy than God himself and in the sense of finding his value and how well he observed the law versus in who Christ was. That was changing. That was shifting. Paul had years of investing in this and God was, un, I believe, undoing so that he could rightly construct internally an understanding of the kingdom of God, Jesus, and what the gospel really was. You know, I I heard somebody say this one time, that the first 16 verses that we read about uh, in the life of Paul, um, and and this may be pre... Maybe this is his... uh, Just after his uh, Acts 9 experience, I'm actually not sure... But, but somewhere I heard that his, the first 16 verses in the book of Acts that talk about Paul's life uh, represent the equivalent of 16 years of life. And the last 16 chapters where Paul's life is on open display represent the last 10 years of his life. In other words, God's not in a hurry. And... He can do more in a day than you can do in your whole life trying to be good enough, trying to do something great for God. So actually slowing down, not being in a hurry, 
I would guess, will produce more fruit in the long haul than being in a hurry as a young person trying to get somewhere that you don't even know where you want to go. Guys, let the Holy Spirit give you a theological revolution and slow it down so that you really see the details of what Jesus accomplished. This this isn't just a few famous people's message. This is your message. And God wants to say it through you the way you say it, not where you're mimicking somebody else, but where you have your own voice. That's good news. So, Father, I thank you that your desire is to give us all a theological revolution that leads to a methodological revolution. And, Father, I thank you that you are patience. And I thank you that you are manifesting patience in every one of us so that we can slow down, we can enjoy life, we can enjoy relationships and realize and recognize what is the good news What are we actually discipling people into? What are they actually learning and growing in? And God, that we would actually live in a pace and a rhythm that's so fruitful and yet restful simultaneously. And we thank you that you are committed to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom Podcast. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on iTunes, and iTunes will suggest this podcast to others. Thanks, everyone, and take care. Mm-hmm.